This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. And welcome to a pre-season edition of Primal Screen with Carl Chapman and Morty Osborne. We normally work behind the scenes, in my case helping to produce the show while Morty produces the Primal Screen podcast. We've jumped in front of the mics this week to warm things up ahead of the return of regular host Flick Ford next Monday. We must start with a huge thank you to Eloise Ross and Rowan Sprong for another excellent series of Summer Stock, which has been in this time slot over the last three weeks. If you have as much love for cinema as Eloise and Rowan, their shows are a treat and are not to be missed. All episodes are available on the RRR website for you to listen to at your convenience. So head over to rrr.org.au um, to explore programs and scroll all the way down to Summerstock. Um, well, so yes, this is a, a, a pre-season warm-up uh, and um, it's great to... It's, Morty, I'm, I'm seeing you for the first time in real life this I year. Know. Happy New Year. I know. Happy New Year to you too. I can't believe it. It's... Uh yeah, it's really nice to be back in well, the studio and to see you as well. Yes, I know. It's a bonus. Um, so, ha- have you seen... Oh, but we should just get straight into the movies. Have you seen anything over the, the Christmas New Year break or anything either new or perhaps old that you've discovered streaming? I have actually. So I have been watching a little bit, not as much as what I would like to, but over the summer break, um, I finally got around to watching the new James Bond film. Um, and I also caught the new Adam McKay flick, Don't Look Up, which um, has been creating quite a stir at the moment. Um, and I also watched um, Kenneth Branagh's new film, Belfast, as well. I'm not too sure if that has hit theatres yet, but that was another one that I caught. And I also, as well, during summer, I think I mentioned it on the final episode of Primal Screen, I love to go back and just watch, you know, classic nostalgia films. So I finally got round to watching this incredible and really overlooked B film. It's a noir film called Detour. So I highly, highly recommend um, our viewers seek that one out. It is a oh, it is a great movie. It stacks in at just over an hour and it probably has the most lethal femme fatale of a noir film I've ever seen. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah. The, uh, Belfast, I'm really keen to see. They, it did get previewed as part of the British Film Festival um, before Christmas, but I'm hope I think it's going to release coming up uh, before too long. Uh, what did you make of the No Time to Die? Uh, look, I didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest. I I didn't love it as much um, as what I've enjoyed the previous Daniel Craig flicks. I think there was. Um, I would have liked, I think, a little bit more campiness for Daniel Craig's last hurrah, to be honest. Just a, just a teeny bit more, I think. A little bit more, a little bit more. <laughs> um, well, we are going to be talking uh, about uh, music in film, playing some tracks from some soundtracks. Uh, 
My first two picks are from films in cinemas now that both have amazing soundtracks. My third choice is from a new film we'll be able to see very soon. And my final pick is from a classic movie that has inspired another new film landing in cinemas very soon. I know Morty's got a similarly uh, eclectic and um, beautiful uh, selection. I've, I've heard a couple and I'm looking forward to hearing those. Um, we're going to jump straight into it because we've got a lot to fit into the show. My first uh, pick tonight is comes from a film I watched on New Year's Day. Licorice Pizza is Paul Thomas Anderson's gorgeous coming-of-age comedy drama starring Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman, set in the San Fernando Valley in 1973. The film's score comes courtesy of Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood, and alongside it sits a thoroughly fun soundtrack of songs by various artists that complement perfectly the style, era, and real-life stories and places Anderson pays homage to in the film. It was really hard to pick just one song with so many gems to choose from, Uh, However, in the end, I settled for the song which opens the film. It's a tender ode to love, which, quote, blooms for the world to see. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a nice sentiment. Uh, The song is July Tree by Nina Simone. You're listening to Primal Screen here on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. So following up from that, um, the pandemic has inevitably led to the closure of many performing arts venues, cinemas and galleries, and it has also prolonged pretty significant cultural events as well. And of course, Cannes was no exception to that. So when the festival returned to the scenic beachside town of Cannes in 2021, uh, there was much excitement and expectation that followed. I would say that it caught many critics by surprise when it was announced that Julia Ducano's gruesome body horror flick Titane took out the top prize last year, a freakish but also beautiful film that crosses many parameters in the span of 108 minutes. Excruciating violence, humour, sexuality, automobiles, gender dynamics and binaries are depicted in extravagance. But Ultimately, the film's message is one of family and what it means to be loved and to find love under extreme circumstances. There's a real tenderness in this film that triumphs in the end, and I would say for that reason it is well worth a watch. I actually did catch this movie in theatres, and I have to admit I did sit on it for a while before I became absolutely in love with this film. Um, it was described by the jurors at Cannes as being one of the f- one of the few films that took risks that was screened at the festival, and I think that that's something we need to see more of in cinema nowadays. I really don't want to give too much away about this film, um, as I don't want to spoil it, and I don't want to sensationalise on the rather bizarre but interesting aspects of the narrative. So please, please, please go and see this movie. The first track I've selected is from this film. In fact, it follows the opening credits and it's set to the backdrop of a motor show where the camera follows showgirls dancing and washing cars and then it takes us back to our lead character or rather our anti-hero, Alexis, who dances provocatively on top of... She she dances provocatively to this song that I'm about to play for male spectators on top of a fire bolt Cadillac. Excellent. 
Well, my second selection tonight comes from another film I've only just gotten around to seeing at the cinema, Edgar Wright's ghostly psychological thriller Last Night in Soho, where we follow fashion designer Eloise, played by Thomasine McKenzie, as she dreams her way into a stunningly convincing recreation of 1965 swinging London. Meanwhile, Anya Taylor-Joy, who you might have seen last year in The Queen's Gambit, plays Sandy, an aspiring singer on the verge of discovery who seems to haunt Ellie's dreams or does she? <laughs> Matt Smith, Terence Stamp and the late Diana Rigg all put in splendid performances and like Licorice Pizza, it's a film I've watched in 2022 that has belatedly joined my list of favourite films of 2021. Again, in common with Licorice Pizza, there are two albums of music accompanying the release of Last Night in Soho. There's a score by Stephen Price and an awesome soundtrack comprising classics and lesser-known songs from the likes of Dusty Springfield, Sandy Shaw, The Who, The Kinks, The Searchers, The Walker Brothers, Susie and the Banshees, and John Barry, synonymous, of course, with the James Bond theme, as we were talking about earlier, and many more timeless film scores and TV themes. The Last Night in Soho soundtrack also contains songs performed in the film by Anya Taylor-Joy in her character of Sandy, including up-tempo and down-tempo cover versions of Petula Clark's 1964 international smash hit, Downtown, a song which, like the film, is about destinations. Two bits of trivia. Number one, on the original version by Petula Clark, one of the session guitarists was Jimmy Page, who four years later in 68 would go on to form the mighty Led Zepp. And trivia number two, in the 1999 film Girl Interrupted, Winona Ryder's character also sings a cover version of Downtown. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Talking of Anya Taylor-Joy, she's rightly in high demand right now. And before I throw back to you, Morty, for another music pick, I might just mention two of several films she's involved with that many of us are looking forward to. I am. She'll be back on our cinema screens again in April in The Northman, an epic Viking revenge saga by director Robert Eggers. It was in Eggers' feature directorial debut, The Witch, back in 2015 that Anya Taylor-Joy also made her a highly acclaimed debut. So it's great to see them teaming up again. Set in Iceland at the turn of the 10th century, The Northman stars Alexander Skarsgård as a Viking prince on a mission of revenge after his father is murdered by his uncle. And alongside Anya Taylor-Joy in supporting roles are Nicole Kidman, Class Bang, Ethan and Hawk, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe, who was also in Egger's previous feature, The Lighthouse, my favourite film of 2019. So that uh, sounds very promising. Anya Taylor-Joy is also due to arrive into Outback New South Wales in just the next few weeks to start shooting George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road prequel, Furiosa, in which uh, she takes the role previously played by Charlize Theron, with Chris Hemsworth taking over as Max from Tom Hardy. I'm very much excited by both of these films. Yeah, me too, Carl. Me too. And finally, talking of George Miller and new films, we will hopefully be seeing in cinemas soon a film Miller himself describes as his anti-Mad Max film. 3,000 Years of Longing is an epic fantasy drama starring Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. And at this stage, we know a little more other than it involves a British woman who discovers an ancient bottle in Istanbul with a genie inside that offers her three wishes in return for his freedom. I'm very intrigued to see what George Miller can bring to this old chestnut of a trope. I'm sure it'll be different. <laughs> And hopefully it won't be too much longer before we find out. Yes, I think so as well. So uh, I guess it's my turn. Yes. Now, my selection for tonight's special edition of Primal Screen. Uh, So 
Stanley Kubrick's 1971 film, A Clockwork Orange, turned 50 last year. The anniversary of this highly controversial, deeply disturbing, but also brilliant film is my second pick for tonight's show, featuring film scores and songs from films. I picked this because I watched it during one of the many lockdowns of last year, uh, especially because I completely forgot how absolutely incredible Wendy Carlos's score is. For those of you who don't know, Wendy Carlos has been described as arguably the most important living figure in the history of electronic music. She was a pioneer of electronic music in every sense of the word and is Actually, one of the people who, alongside Bob Moog, was responsible for developing the first commercially available synthesizers. Um, She would go on to hit the mainstream in 1968 with Switched on Bach, an electronic interpretation of Bach's works. And I think with this in mind, it comes as no surprise that Kubrick approached her to work on the score for A Clockwork Orange, especially given our antagonist, Alex DeLarge's unnerving obsession with the works of Ludwig van Beethoven. I've selected the intro track um, of this film to play tonight as I feel it best taps into the frightening sensory overload of the world, the, the, really the world that Kubrick depicts on screen. The booming and overwhelming sound of the synths arrive as the screen fades entirely to blood red before it cuts to a close-up shot of Alex. We're really transported into the barbaric world of Alex and his goons and re-watching this film, I was actually reminded of a famous quote by uh, socialist and revolutionary Rosa Luxemburg who said that we have a choice between socialism and barbarism. The world that is chosen in A Clockwork Orange is truly barbaric. Uh, Another little fun fact about Wendy, if you're interested in, I guess, learning about the history of synthesizers and electronic music, There's some really terrific videos of her that she has done with the BBC in the late 60s, maybe even the early 70s, I think, where she goes through and actually breaks down the process of the synthesizer. And it's actually really, really interesting. So I really implore and encourage um, our listeners to go and have a look at those videos up on YouTube. Um, And Wendy was actually also rehired again in 1980 to compose the music to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, So that in mind, Carl, it is now your turn. Thank you. Yes, uh, good, good tag team going on here. My next choice of music tonight comes from a brand new film that opens in cinemas just a couple of weeks from now and is also Triple R's next subscriber screening, our first of 2022. Exciting. (laughs) I think so too. Already the winner of multiple awards and Japan's entry into the 2022 Oscars, Drive My Car is based on a story by renowned Japanese author Haruki Murakami. Masaki is a young chauffeur for theatre director Kafuku. In between car journeys, secrets from the past and heartfelt confessions will be unveiled, and as they spend time together, Kafuku confronts the mystery of his wife that quietly haunts him. Director Raisuki Hamaguchi delivers a haunting masterpiece of art and life. We're going to listen to a piece of music from the Drive My Car soundtrack, and after that, Morty, we'll give you details of how you can win tickets to Triple R's exclusive preview screening of this film next week. The song is titled We'll Live Through the Long, Long Days and Through the Long Nights, in brackets Saab 900. That was the one that got me. And it's by the Japanese singer-songwriter uh, and musician Iko Ishibashi. Triple. 
Perfect. And the next song is yours. It is, yes. So my third pick uh, for tonight is from a 1981 West German film by the name of Christian F. Uh, This film was based on the true story of a teenage drug addict who spends time with her older friends raving in the packed nightclubs of West Berlin and shooting up heroin. Christiane is also obsessed by the music of David Bowie, whom she and her friends worship. And so the third track I have lined up is, of course, Bowie's Station to Station. The film is a harrowing account of drug abuse and really isn't for the faint of heart, but it's absolutely worth seeking out, especially seeing as Bowie composed the soundtrack um, to the film. As I'm sure many listeners are familiar with Bowie's extensive career, it comes as no surprise that during his stint in Berlin in the late 70s, he took the opportunity to lend tracks to accompany the film score. Um, And his live performance of Station to Station in this film is also absolutely worth watching as well. He looks incredibly pristine and tidy in this film. Uh, For my final choice of music tonight, I was looking at other upcoming new films and the one which really caught my eye and ear is Loveland, the latest feature from the Australian Indigenous filmmaker Ivan Sen. Loveland is a science fiction romance set in a near-future megacity starring Hugo Weaving, Ryan Quentin and Julian Nguyen. It's a radical departure for Ivan Sen from his previous work, which you'd be familiar with if you've seen, for example, Goldstone, Mystery Road, Tumala or Beneath Clouds. In a, I think, remarkable testament to his talents, he's credited as writer, director, producer, DOP, editor and composer for this new film. Unfortunately, having said all that, the soundtrack, like the film, is not yet released. All being well, it is scheduled to open in cinemas on the 10th of February. Uh, At this stage, all we have seen and heard of Loveland is the trailer, and I'm going to play a minute of this for you now, as it offers, I think, quite a compelling flavour of what we can look forward to. Typhoons in the middle of winter. They say these are crazy times. Everyone out for themselves. You search for the distant, then it hits you in the face. What's your name? My name is April. Would you like to eat with me? Midnight. That's when I get off. Your love line is very short. Then no, I had one. Everyone's got one. There's just no use for them anymore. You have a very high concentration of hormones in your blood. These levels seem to be new. You recently had any new type of experience? Like what? We got the girl. The girl in the restaurant. How long have you known her? Why are they following me? The visual style of Loveland in the trailer and Ivan Sen's music that we could hear in the background are highly reminiscent of and surely influenced by Ridley Scott's Blade Runner from 1982 and the score composed for that film by Vangelis. 
While we wait for the soundtrack to Loveland to be released, I don't need much of an excuse, and I know Morty doesn't either, to dip into the Blade Runner soundtrack. We close out Primal Screen every week with the Blade Runner end titles, so I thought I'd pick something else from the soundtrack, a piece that people tend to forget as it's completely different to anything else on the album and is easily missed when watching the film. It's a lovely piece of music that plays in the background during a uh, street scene where Deckard buys a bottle of booze in the rain before learning from police agent Bryant that there are still replicants on the loose in including Rachel. Uh, we just heard one more kiss, dear, from the 1982 Blade Runner soundtrack. Interestingly, this version, sung by Don Percival, was originally intended as a demo, uh, with Vangelis planning to have Demi Roussos sing the final version, but Vangelis loved this version so much that it became the version you hear in the film. And of course, we heard David Bowie's Station to Station before. Here's an interesting bit of trivia. Uh, I hadn't heard of Don Percival before. Uh, you know, doing a bit of research around this track. He was, in fact, a leading figure behind the scenes of British pop music back in the day. Uh, started out as a musician, worked his way th- into managing record labels. One of the first artists he was assigned to work with in 1969 when he was appointed A&R for the Philips Record Company was a young musician whose career had stalled after the commercial failure of his self-titled debut. It was, of course, David Bowie. And it was Don Percival who arranged for Bowie's Space Oddity to be released as the first single of his second album just five days before the launch of the manned moon landing Apollo 11. Uh, So, interesting connection there. Mm. And it was also Don Percival's imaginative promotional films for various artists that paved the way for what would become known as music videos. Better screen culture there. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting bit of trivia there. Now, we've got literally about three minutes left, Morty, so you better fly into your next to the final track. All right. So, my last pick for tonight's show is something a lot lighter than the films I have been chatting about this evening. Um, My final pick is Eric Satie's um, Je ne petit number one, which is one of a number of variations he composed. It's featured in numerous films and series. Um, Louis Mayo's cult flick My Dinner with Andre comes to mind, but this track was also featured on an episode of an Australian series called Nature Walkabout, 
which was a show that aired uh, in the 1960s and it was about the cultural landscape of Australia. Um, I have no doubt that it has probably dated significantly during this time as well. Um, This track was actually a request by my mum who I approached to see if she wanted anything played tonight and she asked for this particular track from this series. I think she was really taken by this particular piece of music as a child and... um, really brings so much nostalgia for her, um, even just listening to her talk about it, um, made me want to go and listen to the song again. Um, so finishing on rather on a rather sombre note, this is Eric Satie. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website.